Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns. Hits! Browns are going to win! Bayfield, end zone, Landry, touchdown! With Dan Kadar and Browns beat writer Nate Ulrich of the Akron Beacon Journal and Ohio.com. With Steve Dorshuk from the Canton Repository. fans now cover two a podcast on the cleveland browns hey everyone welcome back to cover two this is dan kadar joined as always by browns beat writer nate ulrich nate how are you this fine fall week good dan how's it going very good uh, we're uh, here to talk about the browns and where they're at traditionally this would be like the quarter point of the season, you know, through four games. And we, we might give like a progress report on the quarter point, but maybe we'll save that for next week since there are 17 games this year. And the, the Browns have a legitimate opponent coming up in the form of the Los Angeles Chargers in week five. That game is in Los Angeles. And we'll have full coverage of it over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns. It's going to be really one of the NFL games of the week uh, to watch. So we're going to have a lot of coverage of that leading up to it, as we as we do for every game. Um, but before we get to what we're going to talk about today, I do have to say that today's podcast is brought to you by USA Today Sports Plus. Let me tell you about the new sports app that we've launched as part of the USA Today family. USA Today Sports Plus is the new sports app that puts the fans first. Get the latest scores, stats, and standings, and enjoy interactive experiences with our award-winning sports writers. Download USA Today Sports Plus from the Apple or Google Play stores. Today, USA Sports Plus, fan harder. So, Nate, before we talk about the Chargers game, but let's talk about kind of the general state of the Browns. And it is a team that has looked incredible on defense the last two weeks after there were some questions coming into the season, how all of this new talent would gel. They, they, they've showed it the last two weeks. Um, the offense, however, which everybody kind of expected to be one of the most potent in the NFL, particularly the passing game, has faltered a little bit. So which of these is more true? The Browns' offense is concerning, or the Browns' defense is really just turned around and one of the better team, better defensive groups in the NFL? Which of those statements is more true in your mind? I think the defensive statement is more true there's definitely truth to the offensive statement as well. 
But here's the thing with the defense, Dan. Like, we talk about Davis Mills not lighting the Browns up or anything, but leading a touchdown drive against them in week two. And, you know, that wasn't ideal. Made the game tight in the fourth quarter before the Browns beat the Texans 31-21. But for a rookie to step in there and do that against the, the talent on this defense certainly didn't meet expectations. And, you know, there was criticism of Joe Woods and the scheme and, you know, was the personnel as good as we thought it was? There was those kinds of questions. And, you know, I think you and I basically got on there and say, yeah, you can you can panic a little bit if you want. You can be concerned um, because, yeah, they shouldn't be giving up that kind of drive to, to Davis Mills uh, in his first real NFL action. On the other hand, hey, we knew this was going to take time for them to gel. Well, boy, they hit warp speed after that bump in the road, didn't they? I mean, I think that what was really crucial is Miles Garrett. He told uh, the group of beat writers the first day of training camp when I, you know, he was standing under the, a little tent and at the podium and and doing his first interview July 28th when camp opened. And I asked him about being a leader and if it's more important for him than it ever has been in his career to really step up in that respect. And he said, absolutely. And the reason why is because there's so many new faces. You know, we knew he and Denzel Ward were really going to be the only starters returning from week one of 2020 to week one of 2021. And as talented as he, as he is, he knew he had to kind of step up, not just as a leader by example, but vocally a little bit. He's gotten better each year as he's progressed. But now in his fifth NFL season, he knew he had to take more on his shoulders. And he has. And after that Texans game, he really put it on himself and his teammates to step up. He and Malcolm Smith, you know, Malcolm Smith's a veteran, uh, like a longtime NFL player, a former Super Bowl MVP who's taken a larger role with while well, Anthony Walker Jr. has been on injured reserve with a hamstring injury. Miles and Malcolm Smith called, you know, players only meeting on Thursday before the game against the Bears, and they went over film. It was about a half-hour session, made their own corrections. No coaches involved, just the players to, to hash things out. And they had their best practice the same day, best practice of the year. Stefanski said it. Miles Garrett said it. Other guys said it. Um, that was on Thursday as well. They go out a few days later, and they had this great performance, historic defensive effort against the Bears, the nine sacks. Miles hits a franchise record with four and a half sacks. Um, what one net passing yard, I think 47 net pass, uh, net yards, uh, for the bears, you know, franchise records for the defense of the Browns, but Matt Nagy, had a horrible game plan. Justin Fields is a rookie hangs on the ball way too long. So how much of that was fool's gold? You know, I mean, that was the question. And I think the Browns answered by going into us bank stadium uh, against a Vikings team that's only one in three, but had some very tight games. And heading in, the offense was ranked third in the NFL. They have two Pro Bowl wide receivers in Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Uh, Kirk Cousins was red hot entering the game. Eight touchdowns, no interceptions, rating of 118 plus. Uh, hadn't thrown an interception in a long time. Uh, and, you know, a couple hundred attempts. 
and gets rid of the ball very quickly. So you figured, well, it's going to be very hard for the Browns to affect a quarterback the way they did against Fields. Well, they only sacked Cousins twice, but I think PFF had them for 30 pressures. They're credited in the box score, 10 quarterback hits. Um, they were in his face all day, and they held the Vikings to seven points. That offense had coming in again, coming in for through three games, been averaging 29 points a game. So I think the Browns answered the question that the defensive turnaround that we saw against the Bears was not fluky. Like this is a real talented defense, and we knew that on paper, but it's translating now. Joe Woods is dialing it up a little bit more with some some pressures. We see you know Denzel Ward getting there on a corner blitz, splitting a sack with Miles Garrett, John Johnson the third, and Cousins face on a blitz on a on a third down stop. Like we've seen, uh, you know, less sitting back. You know, that's what they did in week one against the Chiefs. You know, I understand uh, strategy is going to be different for every team. You're going against Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. You're going to view it differently. But ultra aggressive has paid off in the past couple weeks. We've seen the talent translate. Miles Garrett has stepped it up tremendously. Uh, led the Browns in, in quarterback hits the last two weeks uh, and pressures. Jadavian Clowney has shown up. And they look like a legitimate, you know, top five, top 10 defense right now. If just the old school NFL rankings in terms of yardage allowed per game, they are second in the league right now. So I can't say enough good things about how the defense has played the last couple of games. And to do it against an offense that was rolling like the Vikings offense, I think shows that it's not just, you know, some kind of fluky performance that they had against the Bears. Yeah, it, they, they've been impressive. Clowney, especially to me, is kind of the guy who is standing out. Miles Garrett, of course, maybe I'm taking him for granted, but you just kind of expect it. With Clowney, when he came in, I, I just had questions about, like, is, is this guy washed up? He didn't have a sack last year. He seems to always be hurt and that, that kind of stuff, and to me, there are a lot of questions about how reliable Clowney could be, but he has been incredible, both getting pressure on the quarterback and, to me, just as importantly, setting the edge against the run. There, there were a couple plays uh, against the Vikings where he, he forced the issue on run plays, and he changed the route of the running back and there were stops by other players on the Browns that, that led to no yards or one yard on a run. And that to me is, is directly on Clowney and and how he's playing right now. So he's been really impressive. And I thought against the Vikings, Nate, those defensive tackles, the Browns have particularly Malcolm McDowell and Malik Jackson, man, they, they look really good. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on, on I guess, the, the interior of that defensive line? Because the outside guys, Garrett and Clowney, they always get all the talk, and justifiably so. They're playing really well. But what do you think of those two guys up the middle? Because, to me, that they, they have been rock solid all year. Yeah, the, the, the Maliks in the middle definitely made a difference, um, especially against the Vikings, really flashed. And they both got the Cousins on that one that, you know, the Browns and Vikings kind of tried to pounce on. There was an incomplete pass uh, late on the on the third down. Um, but they, the players on the field were treating it like it might be a fumble. 
Um, they were there. They were there bringing Cousins down. So, yeah, I mean, they really have shown up, gotten a lot of good push lately. And, you know, this is part of it. Like, Miles Garrett not only had that <coughs> – excuse me. I think some of my breakfast is still in my throat. <coughs> Sorry, Dan. Um, <laughs> Miles Garrett not only had that players-only meeting that he called with Malcolm Smith, but he also publicly said – Hey, you know, when the Texans are double teaming or, tri- or chipping me, obviously Laramie Tunsil is one of the best left tackles in the game, but when they're when they're also chipping me and other guys on our line aren't making plays, it's frustrating. So he had the private meeting. He told guys they need to step up. He told his teammates he needed to step up. Then he publicly <laughs> said all this on, on Friday during his, you know, weekly media session in Berea. And guys just answered the bell, and the Malik's in the middle are a great example of that. Jadavian Clowney is a great example of that. Um, you know, the D-line has really kind of taken over the last two games. And, you know, let's talk about some other guys. Like Jeremiah Usakormo continues to flash after you called his breakout game. Boom. Mm-hmm. You deserve a whatever, a standing ovation, a, a bouquet of flowers thrown at your feet oh. on stage. For Thank Troy you. Hill, you called the Troy Hill game. He did a really good job against K.J. Osborne, the number three receiver of the Vikings, uh, who I think is a pretty good player. And, you know, I thought Troy Hill had a really nice game in Minnesota. And, hey, part of this, you know, impressive defensive performance lies in the fact that heading in, they didn't, you know, their best corner had been Greg Newsom, the second rookie first-round pick. They didn't have him. Calf injury, ruled out. Rudy Williams makes his first start since 2019. Lost year in 2020 with the nerve damage in his shoulder. Comes in and plays great. He played great. He had, uh, a, you know, the game's only takeaway there with about six minutes left in the fourth quarter. Interception off Kirk Cousins again, who hadn't thrown a pick this season. Uh, Denzel Ward. I mean, we had talked last week about, well, is is there some concern with Denzel Ward? Gotten off to a less than ideal start to this season. He showed up. I mean, obviously there was a touchdown uh, in some kind of zone. that He was the closest guy to Justin Jefferson on that game opening drive. But the rest of the game, Denzel Warren made a bunch of plays. Key breakup late in the fourth corner on a deep route along the uh, uh, right sideline. So um, I think Denzel Ward had a had a, a nice kind of turnaround game here from you know earlier in what he had been doing earlier in the season. So I mean, Kevin Stefanski said after the game, this was like the perfect example of the Russian coverage comp- complementing each other because you got all the pressure. You got in Cousins' face. You got the quarterback hits. Uh, and then you had defensive backs who were talking about. You had these corners breaking up passes. Grant Delpit had a broken up pass. Um, you know, they really, I think, played well. And and also, you know, Ronnie Harrison Jr. I mean, Ronnie Harrison Jr., how big a deal was made when Ronnie Harrison Jr. got ejected after just five snaps in week one? It was a big deal. MJ Stewart had to come in. Yeah. And, you know, everybody said, well, how did that affect the defense? Could they have beaten the Chiefs? You know, would, would that have, you know, affected the outcome um, with such a big curveball there on defense to start the season? Well, he only played two snaps in this one. Uh, evaluated for a concussion. Browns initially on Sunday said he had a concussion. Stefanski came out on Monday and said that actually he had been cleared. Doctors determined Monday morning he did not have a concussion. So that's good news. He should be good to, good to go against the Chargers on Sunday. Nevertheless, that's a big deal. Only two snaps. For your starting strong safety, well, Grant Delpit, who had been, you know, playing that limited snap count, coming off the torn uh, Achilles and the hamstring injury from training camp, 
Uh, he played all but two snaps. I think mean, 65 to 67 snaps. Played well, and they didn't miss a beat. I mean, this was the first time since 1995 that the Browns held an opponent to single-digit points in back-to-back games. So I think that we have to say um, the defense is playing like a legit top defense. You know, whatever you want to say, top five, type, top ten. Again, they're right, right, right now they're ranked second in, in yards per game allowed. And we got to, you know, give credit where credit is due and say that that is the truer statement right now. And in my opinion, it's kind of overwhelming uh, when you look at the evidence, you look at what they're doing, especially, you know, without Newsom, again, without Anthony Walker Jr., your starting middle linebacker and your primary signal caller, you know, he's missed uh, three games now. Eligible to to, to be uh, designated for return this week. Uh, Stefanski said Monday he doesn't know if that'll happen yet, so we'll see if he comes back from IR and the hamstring injury. If not, Malcolm Smith has stepped up and been playing well. Yeah, he he has. And I I thought he had a couple miscues, um, particularly against the Chiefs. But he he has kind of turned it around, as you would expect a veteran to, quite honestly, to do. Um, Real quick apologies to Malik McDowell for calling him Malcolm McDowell, which, of course, is the actor. I watched the 2007 Halloween remake uh, earlier this week because it's October. And that's that's a thing I like to do in October is watch creepy movies before I go to bed for some reason. So apologies to Malik McDowell. Uh, But anyway, Nate, we I, I do want to get your thoughts. I do want to get your thoughts on the offense particularly Baker Mayfield. I mean, it, it cannot be ignored, the, the fact that he missed some really, I, I think, wide-open throws against the, the Vikings on Sunday. And I, I, I don't think it's a symptom of the, the thing we saw in the first eight games of last year with Odell Beckham, where he's trying to force Odell Beckham the ball. I don't think that's the case, but if you think so, tell me otherwise. But where, what's your take on Baker Mayfield at, at this point of the year? Because there, there has been some uh, good signs. There was the left shoulder injury, which hasn't held him out at all. Um, and, and now he's kind of, I, I think, faltering a little bit to some degree. Are you... Are you thinking this is a speed bump? Um, do you think it's no big deal? Something to just keep monitoring? Where are you at on Baker Mayfield right now in the most important season of his career? Well, I would say that I am more worried about left tackle than Baker Mayfield by far. Like, was that an awful game by Baker Mayfield? Yes. Um is there re- some reason for concern? Yes. But we've seen some of the greatest quarterbacks have bad games. Aaron Rodgers had a horrible week one. I mean, he's looked like the MVP caliber Aaron Rodgers we're used to seeing since then. And Baker Mayfield's not one of the great quarterbacks. He's not MVP caliber quarterback. And he has had bad games and needed to bounce back before, and he's done it. So I think he's going to be fine. I do wonder about the left shoulder injury and its potential impact on what we're seeing. And this is the reason why he came out in week one against Kansas city and he was pinpoint accurate. Yes. I know he had the interception at the end while being tripped up by Brown's killer, Dan Sorensen, 
We know that. But he was red hot in that game. And obviously, I think he was, you know, very accurate against the Texans. Now, I know after that shoulder popped out and popped back in in the second quarter, Kevin Stefanski kept that to a short passing attack and leaned on the run, didn't want to get Baker hit. But he was 19-21 in that game. So, you know, let's not forget through the first two games, he led the NFL in completion percentage, you know, 80 mm-hmm. Ones, I want to say maybe 81.5%, something like that. Yeah, right. No longer the case. Obviously, he had a a horrible day, as we said. Um, You know, 15 to 33, missed open guys, missed an open Odell uh, a couple times. And obviously, in the fourth quarter, um, Odell had separation, was open. You hit him in stride there to touchdown to to put an exclamation point on Kevin Stefanski's homecoming victory. But instead, you got to get the ball back with like a minute, a little over a minute left and have a last defensive stand to win it. And they did. But, yeah, it could have put them away. And, and, you know, they, you know, the ball wasn't where it needed to be. Um, kind of, you know, underthrown and behind Beckham. So there there's concern there. And I would say that that left shoulder injury to get back to my point about how it could be a potential uh cause of some of the accuracy issues we're seeing he did start off the season so accurate and hasn't been since and i wonder if it's a case of you know he has some kind of harness on now you can see in photos that there's some kind of you know black sleeves under his jersey um that would probably be under his shoulder pads and you can see more of whatever that is on his left arm you can see a little bit of a, on the right, but you can see more on the left. So um, it's that left, obviously, he doesn't throw with his left arm, but that left non-throwing shoulder, if that's in some kind of harness, some kind of brace, whatever the term is, whatever it might be. And I don't even know for sure it is that, but you can see something in the photos. Google image, Baker Mayfield, Vikings, and look. There's something, something he's wearing, okay? If it's more than just an undershirt, if it is a brace or a harness or whatever, I wonder if there is some restrictive, you know, property to that that might be thrown off his mechanics just a little bit if his body's in certain positions or if he's on the move or whatever the case may be. I wonder. Now, he's not going to use it as an excuse. You know, myself and another reporter asked him about the shoulder after the game. He said it's still attached. I says, does that have anything to do? This seems like uncharacteristic accuracy. We've had, we've seen him with accuracy issues sometimes. They have popped up, but he's been able to get it corrected, get the mechanics right, get the feet right, and and be accurate for the most part. And like I said, the way he started the season was very accurate. So it just seemed like this came out of nowhere, and it seemed like it happened after you know we we heard and saw the shoulder pop out and pop back in. So you got to wonder if there's something related and, you know, I, he's wearing whatever, whatever that is he's wearing. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it could make a difference, but I think it's uh, at least something worth considering here just because of how it has gone from uh, a very accurate quarterback to one who's missing guys like that. You know, so I do wonder that Dan. And I also wonder like, you know, with Odell back, is he looking for him a little bit too much instead of going through his progressions? I don't think there's signs that he's forcing it to him 
uh, like I did feel like he did at times last season before Odell got hurt. Um, but the one play that stands out in my mind is there was a third down and Baker's like moving to his right. Um, and Demetric Felton standing right by the, the sideline, right by the first down marker, wide open for easy first down. And Baker's looking at Odell uh, at the, you know, deeper down the field, coming in kind of over the middle. And I think that while he's looking that, there for Odell, his eyes don't move to Felton quick enough in the progression. So, you know, I'm not blaming, you know, Odell for that. Certainly not. Um, it's not like, you know, there's a sign like he's demanding the ball or anything like that. I don't want people to misinterpret it. But I just wonder if Baker didn't move through his progressions quick enough because, you know, that was an enticing, uh, you know, route. <laughs> and obviously he's, he's 13 and he doesn't get the easy first down. And he ends up taking a sack on that play when a guy was was wide open pretty much, you know, right in front of him on a, a layup throw that, that, you know, pretty much anybody could make. Um, even people who have no shot of ever sniffing the NFL. So. <laughs> That was an interesting play to me that made me wonder if he if he was looking at Odell a little too long there in that instance. Um, but for the most part, like I, you know, I don't think this is, hey, Odell came back and it messed Baker up. I think it's probably, um, you know, if I had to pick a theory, you know, maybe I'm going to go with um, the idea that you know, maybe it's a combination of some of the things we're talking about, and maybe there is some kind of, um, you know, brace or, or something like that. Um, but again, it's hard to know because he doesn't want opponents to know about it. Stefanski said Monday he doesn't think that the shoulder is affecting him based on what he's seen in practice. And like if it was and if they believed it was, like I don't think that the Browns would say it because they don't want opponents to think that it's a big deal. Um, because then, you know, are guys going to be zeroed in on that or, you know, but it's also odd that if, if it were, uh, a concern that, you know, Baker's running around, by the way, I'm a designed run, uh, in Minnesota too. So like, why would you be calling that? So I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of hard to figure that out. And then sometimes Dan, after saying all this and probably talking for way too long, you just, sometimes you just have an off day. I mean, sometimes you just have an off day. So maybe he was just, you know, way off and, you know, that there's really not an easy expl explanation for it other than sometimes it just happens in sports, even to the greats. It, it really does. And, and like you said, Aaron Rodgers had one himself and. It, it does happen. Look, if anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough knows, I have plenty of off days myself. So, and, and part of it, you know, the the, the Beckham thing, the, the the play you describe with Felton describes it pretty well. But it's also sometimes just like it's human nature, you know. Like if somebody said, "Hey, do you want to drive a Ferrari or this Mustang?" I'm going to pick the Ferrari, you know, and in, in this poor analogy, Demetric Felton is the Mustang and Odell Beckham is the Ferrari. You know, it's 
the guy's just back for the first time, really, second game back. Um, he's so good. And, you know, sometimes it's just human nature sometimes. But we'll we'll see. We'll, we'll keep monitoring, you know, kind of the play of Baker Mayfield and if this left shoulder thing pops up. And I, I'll put a photo with the podcast on the site that, that goes up with the, the podcast of where you can see kind of exactly what Nate is describing um, coming out of the jersey a little bit, where uh, it's like a, it looks like a brace. So that, that'll that be up at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns, of course. But you, you mentioned left tackle being the bigger issue, and it's concerning. Now, just for full disclosure, we're recording this just around 2 p.m. on Tuesday, so there, there's no official word on Jedrick Wills, but he he's had this ankle injury now for a little while. Nate, do you think the Browns are at a spot where they just need to sit this guy and let him heal up, or should they keep pushing him to play through it, despite the fact that he's come out of the last two games for for a period or longer against against the Vikings? Uh, what what should the Browns do with Jedrick Wills? Yeah, I don't think he's he has not played a full game yet. So yeah, he's come out of every he's he has not um, you know finished with a hundred percent of snaps in a game. And you know it was Blake Hans relieving him, and then uh, it was James Hudson the third, the the fourth round rookie, um, you know in Minnesota who came in, and it just seems like. It's not just the original ankle injury that he suffered in Kansas City in week one, but he keeps getting rolled up on. And I think he keeps getting rolled up on partly because of bad luck, but more likely because he can't move as well. So he's in bad spots, bad situations, can't get out of the way, um, whatever it may be. I think that, uh, you know, it's just to the point now where if you can get Chris Hubbard back, and I think you probably can, I think you, you probably should uh, see if he can make that work for a week because, you know, I understand you want your offensive lineman to play through injury um, because it's a position where so many guys do. And not fair to Jedder Quills, but the shadow of Joe Thomas exists. And you go into First Energy Stadium and literally the snap count streak is – up there in the ring of honor, 10,363. So if you don't believe the shadow exists, just go look at that. Um, and the reason why it's relevant today, after you know four years or whatever after Joe Thomas retired, Joe Thomas has really good friends who are some of the best players on the Browns roster, and Joel Batonio, left guard, and J.C. Trenard, center. And those guys play through all kinds of stuff especially JC, the high ankle sprain, played through like a couple of years ago. Um, missed all of 2020 training camp with a knee injury, had the surgery, came back, didn't miss a snap. He's playing through knee injuries, knee issues still to this day. He's always limited in practice and questionable, and he plays and doesn't miss a snap. We go out there. One of the few things we get to see nowadays during the regular season is the team stretch for like 20 minutes and then they go through individual drills for like another 10 or so. Um, you know, we see about 20 to 30 minutes of practice. Well, in stretching, Dan 
almost every player's on the ground going through all the stretching and whatever, you know, all different positions, uh, you know, stretching all, you know, the legs and everything, yeah, everything you yeah. can imagine, all the stretching that Bob Wiley despises. You know what's <laughs> going on at that time? J.C. Treaders is standing there. He's standing mm-hmm. among his teammates straight up, just looking at the clouds or the grass or whatever. He's standing there. And my interpretation is that he can't get on the ground and do all these stretches because his knee's so messed up that he just has to stand there. He literally just stands there while everyone else stretches. That tells you something's majorly wrong, (laughs) and he is playing through it. So you want your offensive lineman to play through injury, and Jedrick Wills has done the best he has been able to do with it. But it just this injury continues to be exacerbated by other things happening on the field. He cannot move like he normally does. Um, I zeroed in on him on a rewatch last night. I thought that there were times he looked pretty good, um, you know, but you can tell he's just not his normal self. I think they definitely believe as a coaching staff that even like 50% or whatever, 50, 60% Jedrick Wills is better than Blake Hans or James Hudson III for a full game. But I, I have a hard time believing that they think that 50% Jedrick Wills is better than Chris Hubbard, their valuable six man, who, of course, in an ideal world would not be your starting left tackle. But we're not in an ideal world. We're in a world in which Jedrick Wills has come out of every game. So Chris Hubbard had the triceps injury um, that he suffered in Kansas City. He's missed the the past uh, few games and uh, has a big brace on that arm. It's a big arm length brace. Um, but he practiced all last week, which is great news. They ruled him out after he went through a full week of practice. But usually when they practice a guy for a full week and then they rule him out, that means they're going to ramp him up more the next week with the idea of playing him. I think that that might be the route they want to go. Jedrick Wills was to kind of gauge the severity of it we don't know like we said you you preface this with when we were recording and everything and a lack of an update puts us in kind of a guessing game territory but we do know that he was carted from the sideline to the locker room so he didn't like walk around on that on that ankle which makes you think that it got banged up pretty badly again so um i'm not a doctor as we all know or i want to be on this podcast talking football every week with you dan um athletic trainers and the medical professionals i can't um you know get into their heads and their decision making and and they know what they need to know to make the decision with jedrick and the coaching staff but on the outside looking in i think it would make sense to give chris hubbard the nod if he can do it and try to get jedrick back to closer to you know 80 you know whatever I don't know if he can get the 90%, but if he can get the 70, 80 and make it through a game, that'd be a hell of a lot better than what we've been seeing. Yeah, it, it's been problematic. And I, I know he's a rookie, but, man, James James Hudson looked pretty rough, if you ask me. I, I know it's extremely difficult to ask that of, of, a, of a rookie backup to come in and play left tackle in the NFL. But, boy, he, he has a ways to go, I think. And... Man, your your J.C. Treader stretching, not being able to get up off the ground. I've never related to an NFL player more in my life. Um, <laughs> you know, but, Joe Thomas yeah. has all kinds of stories about that, how 
his back was so messed up one year that he was like a turtle. He literally couldn't get off the ground. He would have wow. off his back. Like he, he couldn't sit up. He would have to roll over it on, on his stomach and do a push-up to get up. So I haven't specifically talked to JC about it, but I'm just telling you from observing, he's not on the ground stretching with the other guys, and I can only um, surmise from that with him being listed on the injury report is limited with a knee every week, every day or every week in the regular season that those two things are related. Yeah. It, yeah, for sure. So moving on from where we're at with the Browns right now to Sunday's game against the chargers. Again, it's in Los Angeles. It's at four twenty-five. brand new stadium. Um, beautiful stadium. Really good team, Nate. Uh, I don't know if you watch Monday Night Football, but they played the the Raiders and looked really good at stretches. And they're one of the best teams in the NFL, if you ask me. And they have the best young quarterback in the NFL, Justin Herbert, who's in his second year out of Oregon. He's he's really good. He's big, physical, fast, athletic, big arm, everything you want in a quarterback, basically. Chargers defense is really good. Everybody knows they have Joey Bosa, but but they have a lot more beyond him too. So Nate, when we when we kind of did the schedule game on this one, this one was really kind of a this one was hard to predict, at least for me. Where where are you at going into this game for the Browns? This is gonna be a tough one. A lot of people are gonna pick the Chargers to win. Um I think looking at it. Heading into this past weekend, I thought, wow, the Browns really need to win one of the next two. Um, Lucky for them, defense played lights out, and the running game dominated. Chase McLaughlin looked like the real deal again, and all that compensated for a poor quarterback performance from Baker Mayfield, and they beat the Vikings. So, um, you know, I don't want to say they're playing with house money because you want to win every game, and I mean, look at the NFL. There's only one undefeated team right now, and that's the the Arizona Cardinals, who the Browns have to face after the Chargers. So you can't take a week off. You can't say, well, we won in Minnesota. We don't need this one. They absolutely need it. I'm just saying that, you know, their backs aren't against the wall at this point at 3-1, and which is a good feeling because this is going to be a really tough one. Having said all that, I'm going to pick the Browns. Uh, And I did watch Monday Night Football. And when I was doing the schedule game in the spring or whatever, it did not occur to me that the Chargers would be coming off a Monday night game, but that's tough. They're a little bit shorter of a turnaround. And another thing that I didn't consider, and I learned last night, you know, I think the Browns have a great chance with the way their fans travel to kind of have a quasi home game. Like it won't be rocking in their favor like First Energy Stadium would. But I think that they can have the majority of fans in that stadium. And I know the Raiders did. I'm telling you, the Browns fans travel great. And I know this from a dozen years on the beat. They're in every flight I'm on. They're in every restaurant, every hotel. There's people walking around in Browns gear. Every street of every downtown NFL city when the Browns are in town. And most of this is through really bad years. You know, as we all know, the Browns have been bad for a long, long time and haven't been good just until, you know, this year and last. And so there's even more reason for people to spend money, travel, go see the Browns. 
and flights are harder to get than ever, partly because of the pandemic, but partly because Browns fans are buying all the plane tickets. And I know from traveling what it's like. I think that they're going to have a great presence there on the road, and I think they're going to win a tight one. Right now, I've got it like 27-24 Browns. That that is bold. I, I got to tell you that. Um, I I think this is a. I think the Browns are coming out of the easiest part of their schedule for sure. And now is when, you know, the 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 challenging parts are going to get cranked up because you have the Chargers, like you said, you have the Cardinals the week after that, and they're the NFL's only undefeated team at four and zero. Of course, that could change by the time we get there. Um, and then you have the, the Thursday night game against the Broncos. So it, it's a, uh, and the Broncos defense is, is really, really good too. So it, it's a, it's a very tough stretch right now. And if the Browns want to kind of prove who everybody thinks they are, they, they have to win two out of these three games, I think. So with that said, I, I'm going to say, boy, this one's just a toss-up for me, quite frankly, against the Chargers. I'm going to go with the Chargers, I think, just because Herbert's really good. I really like their left tackle, who they took in the draft this year, Rashawn Slater. Derwin James is a, a really good player when he's healthy, which he is right now. Joey Bosa can can change games just, just as easily or more so than Miles Garrett can. They and their receivers. Their receivers are are really good too. So, to me, and Austin Eckler, who I didn't even mention, they're running back. He can do everything. I, I think you're going to see a, a JOK game number two. That's what I'm going to call it, because uh, he's going to have his hands full. You know, kind of trying to cover Eckler a lot coming out of the backfield. He's an incredible receiving running back. So. I, I'm unfortunately going to go with the Chargers, um, probably 31-28, something like that. Fairly high scoring, although I thought the Vikings game would be high scoring, and look where that ended up. So what do I know? But I, I'm going to go Chargers, and, and we'll we'll see what happens after that against the, the Cardinals and the Broncos. But, Nate, do you have anything else for the podcast this week? Well, I just wanted to kind of piggyback off some of what you just said and yeah, I agree. They've got a lot of good players. They're a good team. Battles of, what, two, three, and one teams. Um, you know, Herbert's really good. And I agree with everything you said. I mean, this is a really tough test. I just think there are a couple factors that help the Browns. It's that, the you know, what I said about the fans and what that stadium composition can look like. And, um, you know, a little bit of a, a not you know totally behind the eight ball situation, but a little bit of a disadvantage playing on Monday night to turn around there. Um, if it's really an even game, I consider those factors, uh, you know, worth considering. And I just think they, this Browns defense is rolling. And I want to say too, Dan, that the Browns defense has been rolling since you've picked some breakout players for them. I think with the mm-hmm. JOK game, Against the Bears, Troy yeah. Hill now. I know you said JOK game part two. Do you have anybody else? Because um, 
frankly, you are on just as much of a role as the Browns D right now. So I want to give you a shot to keep it going. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to stick with it being a JOK number two game. And Grant Delpit, I, I think, is worth mentioning. And you're, you're writing about him for this week. I, I think he's going to have to factor in. Um, we, we don't know about Ronnie Harrison Jr. at this point. Again, we're recording Tuesday afternoon. So if he's out, you know, it's a, it's a huge Delpit game. But I, I, I am going to stick with being another JOK spotlight game just because he, he matches up with, with what the Chargers like to do on offense with, with their personnel. Um, yeah, I, I, th- I think this is going to be a really fun game. Um, it's, it's to me, one of the, one of the games of the year. I mean, the Chargers could beat the Chiefs. The Browns couldn't. You can boil it down to as easy as that if you wanted to. But I, I, I think this is going to be a, a really fun game. Yeah. No, I, I, that's, you can go common opponent. Sure. And, and that is something to consider. Um, but here's one, one thing I want, a couple things I want to say. One, I'll probably pick the Cardinals to beat the Browns. Um, mm. I just don't think, like, I don't think they come out of this stretch unscathed, you know. But um, if I had to go either or, you know, it's hard for me to pick. It's hard for me to sit here. And, yeah, I get to look ahead. The Browns coaches and players don't get to look ahead. I get to look ahead. <laughs> it's one of my favorite lines. I get to look ahead. They've never lost back-to-back games under Kevin Stefanski. So if I have in my mind they're going to lose to the Cardinals, it's hard for me to pick the Chargers to beat them right now. So that's part of my thinking, too. Also, as bad as Baker Mayfield was, he did not turn it over. And so he does deserve credit for that, and he had turned it over the first couple of games. Uh, He's been clean since then. So, you know, this is a team with a a really nice rookie cornerback as well, uh, and Asante Samuel Jr., playing playing very good so far. you, you mentioned Derwin James. Um, this, you know, Bosa had a strip sack last night. Uh, the Raiders are covered and punted, but we know what a nightmare he can be. He's right up there with Miles Garrett among the best edge rushers in the league. Normally lines up at left defensive end, but you know the greats can move around. But primarily a Jack Conklin matchup. They need their all-pro right tackle to play like an all-pro. So those are some of the things I'm thinking, but um, – yeah, Ronnie Harrison Jr. should play because he didn't have a concussion and he's clear from concussion protocol Monday morning. He should be good to go unless there's some kind That's of right. setback. Yeah. He could, but, Dan, I mean, I'm glad you said it because I have seen situations where guys come in later and then all of a sudden they're feeling weird on a Wednesday and then they go back into the protocol. You never know. But I'm mm-hmm. glad you mentioned Delpit because I think he's ascending, um, obviously has been playing well, um, you know, and then handled the full workload uh, in Minnesota. So, yeah, I'm very excited about it. Um, I was torn about this game, but, you know, after watching last night and being very impressed by the Chargers, um, I just couldn't get it out of my head thinking that how, you know, I think if we're doing a Chargers podcast, they're looking at a really good Browns team coming in, and Baker Mayfield, who and I had an off day, and generally, generally, I can't speak, generally when he has an off day like he had, and that was a way off day. He bounces back pretty well because, you know, he gets that fire lit under him. And there's going to be all the talking heads this week talking about how Baker Mayfield isn't a real franchise quarterback. 
doesn't deserve the kind of money that the Browns would have to pay him and a contract extension uh, to be their guy of the future. You're going to hear all the Baker Mayfield hate come out and be at the forefront again. And sometimes <laughs> I think that Baker's at his best when all that stuff is being put on blast. I think he's going to have a nice bounce back game. This is the this is the guy, Justin Herbert, who just broke Baker's rookie touchdown pass record for a single season last year. I think he's going to want to have a really good showing in this duel. And I I think that there are some uh, motivational, emotional factors going for the Browns starting quarterback. Um, You know, if, if he can manage the physical, whatever that is. Um, if, whether it's just an off day, the eyes not moving and the progressions quickly enough, which is mental and physical, obviously, or some kind of shoulder brace harness situation. If he can, if he can somehow, you know, manage that and, and, you know, take a step to get over one of those hurdles or multiple, if they're a combination of things going on, I think there are some uh, motivational factors he can tap into. So, yeah, I mean, all this is swirling around. Right now, I think it makes it a fascinating game, a game that we all had circled in the schedule game, um, and I think it should be a fun one. It, it really should be. It's a measuring stick game, if nothing else, for the Cleveland Browns and for Baker Mayfield specifically, like you, like you just described. That was very well stated. So that is going to do it for the podcast this week. Again, you can find all of our coverage leading up to and of the game over at beaconjournal.com slash sports slash Browns, but that is going to do it for cover two this week. Thank you very much for everybody for listening and we will talk to you next time.